A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, welcome to Hollywood Crime Scene. This is Rachel Fisher. Hi, this is Desi Jedekin. Take it away, Des. Uh, we would like to give a shout out to our new patrons that we got last week. They subscribed to us over at Hollywood, I'm sorry, patreon.com slash Hollywood crime scene, where they get ad free episodes, bonus content. Got, got a really exciting story to do on Patreon tomorrow. Oh, okay. So look forward to that. <laughs> <laughs> we also post our Spotify green room live recordings there. If you've been wanting to hear those. So a lot of stuff going on there this week. We had Aisha, Kara, Melly, Chris, Bruce, Spencer, Richard, Philip, Carrie, Nikki, Ruby, Amy, Megan, Carla, Alexia, Louise, Wednesday Adams, wow, Erica, <laughs> Amy, Ambrose, Emily, Kristen, Lisa, Richie, Megan, and Martha. Thank you all so much. Thank you. All right, Desi. This is a story I've wanted to do for a long time, and I finally found a book that covered this a bit and sort of covered the background of this a bit. Now, my main source for this episode was a book called... Actually, my main source was old newspaper episodes, but I want to give a shout out to this book that I also used called The Hollywood Posse by Diana Sarah Carey. Today, we're going to talk about cowboys of old Los Angeles and old Hollywood, Okay, as well as the history of my old local shopping center, Gower Gulch. <laughs> That is where I used to pick up my psych meds, was at that shopping center at the Rite Aid. That's where the Denny's is. That's where the Denny's is. They have a Starbucks. Yeah. They have um, they have a kebab daddy there. I've been to that shopping center many times. Yes, you've taken me there. Desi, I have to go to Rite Aid. I have to get my meds. Take me to Gower Gulch. That's Starbucks. It's one of the worst in the city. You think so? I hate that Starbucks. <laughs> I don't know why <laughs> bad it's, vibes. It had bad vibes for me. I think I had tried to work in there a few times, which is just a huge mistake. That, it's not that type of place. It's not. It's a get out and get in and go. Yeah. It's there's no seating. No. In there. So I just had some bad, bad vibe times there. <laughs> they have a Baskin Robbins, a very rare uh, sighting nowadays. It's true. And and when you see a Baskin Robbins, they're always very old. This, yeah, <laughs> they're they're kind of yellowed. It's, like <laughs> they're so old. <laughs> this is a very, it's a very sad Baskin Robbins at the Gower Gold Shopping Center. It's very small. All of the whimsy is dead. This is the type of store where they're like, we're not updating anything no. because this will eventually close. So we're, <laughs> we're, we're going to run it out <laughs> and not invest any more money. It might have once uh, been wonderful at that Baskin Robbins, but I don't know. It seems like a very small. Well, there was one in my neighborhood as well next to our radio shack. Mm. <laughs> the classic dead end combo. <laughs> Dude. So... Now, the author of the book that I used for this episode, The Hollywood Posse, 
The author of this book was once known to the world as Baby Peggy. Ooh. Have you heard of Baby Peggy? That sounds vaguely familiar. Well, Baby Peggy was born Peggy Jean Montgomery in 1918, and she was first discovered in Hollywood at just 19 months old. Wow. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Lucky toddler. Yeah. So for the next few years, she made 150 short films with Century Studios. Among them, she made a series of films with Brownie the Wonder Dog. Wow. He, he was a famous dog actor. Sounds like it. After that, she would go on to make several feature films at Universal. Her father, Jack, was a former cowboy who was working in Hollywood as a stuntman for silent Western film actor Tom Mix. Baby Peggy was raised by the cowboys of early Hollywood. She said, quote, My father and the other old-time cowmen treated in... Treated in this book were my constant companions and co-workers on the set, on location, over meals, or riding together at ranches on weekends. At the height of her success, Baby Peggy was among the most successful child actors in Hollywood. But like her contemporary, Jackie Coogan, her parents would go on to spend all of her money, <gasps> which of which she had made a considerable amount. Damn. This prompted me to text you or to talk to you and say, I would love to do a child star month. Yeah. And like a Jackie Coogan episode. We could do the little rascals too. Oh, well that's been on the list for but years. That would be a good child star uh, one. Absolutely. They're all, that's like a two parter at least. At least <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot there, but I, but, but at one point we will get into these stories. We'll, I mean, we could even revisit baby Peggy's story cause she has a separate book this woman diana that she wrote about her her life, life her life as a child star so by the early 1930s baby peggy and her family were living meagerly in a modest hollywood bungalow this is after she had stopped working in the industry her father jack who once owned and operated a ranch was now desperate for steady work as a film extra this was the case for many cowboys throughout los angeles the ranch work and the rodeos had dried up but there was hope for work in the film industry. At this time, many of the studios existed in Hollywood, as did the central casting offices, which were at the time located on Western Avenue. Around this time, a group of cowboys who worked as extras and stuntmen formed a group called the Chuck Wagon Trailers. Ooh. This group specified that to be a member, you had to have worked as a real cowboy and also trailed a chuck wagon prior to 1910. That's so specific. It's very specific. I think they were like, we want real cowboys who are working in the film industry. Right. And you even followed a chuck, chuck wagon. And you had to <laughs> literally follow a chuck. You had to trail a chuck wagon. Yeah. But prior to 1910. Yeah. If you No, not just doing it to get in the club. Just like a week ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe, maybe that they specified that date because they didn't want people to be like, well, I just, I yeah. just did that. Yeah. For fun. Each member paid an annual due of $1 and the men would gather for biannual roundups in the hills of Chatsworth or a new hall. So they would get together and like just eat beans, I think. Out of the can. Yeah, like over a fire. Yeah. And biscuits. Mm. The cowboys dressed the same as they did on set of the Western films that they worked on. They were always just dressed like cowboys. Like that's how they dressed in their day-to-day -day life. 
cowboy hats, boots, spurs, jeans, leather vests. Wow. It was a uniform, and they were really prided themselves on being cowboys. Many of these men didn't even need to be costumed for the films they were in, as they already looked and dressed the part, right down to the facial hair that they sported. Many of them wore long sideburns or handlebar mustaches reminiscent of the styles in the 1880s. They did not update their hair no. for the times. No. For years, the cowboys in Hollywood hung out at a saloon called the Waterhole. This uh, was actually profiled in a 1930 edition of the Los Angeles Evening Express. The caption below a photo of cowboys standing out front of the waterhole said, Always open. The sign on the restaurant window above tells a story of the waterhole, Hollywood and Cahuenga Boulevards, where an assemblage of studio talent may be found day or night. The waterhole, while reminiscent of campfires on the plain, an oasis where cowboys congregate to swap yarns and philosophize on the future, draws all other types of film industry workers. Now, before the waterhole became a hub for cowboys to find work, it was simply a place for cowboys to congregate with other cowboys, play poker in the back room, and drink bootleg whiskey. The Hollywood Posse says, Cowmen from every western state, from Texas, Canada, from Texas, Canada and even northern states or Mexico, made their way to the waterhole. They came by different routes and ostensibly for various reasons, but gradually it came to serve the same function for them as the general delivery window in a small town post office. Diana Sarah Carey explains that the cowboys would show up at the waterhole and run into a fellow cowboy that they had lost track of, or possibly find out information where some other cowboy had ended up. It was sort of like the peach pit. Yeah. Like they could get all the details, like catch up and all the hot goss. It was a cowboy world. Yeah, it was a place to catch up on the hot cowboy goss. What, when does a cowboy become a cowman? Um, that's a really good question. Because she uses cowman sometimes. She uses cowman. <laughs> like, I just a lot. feel cowboy is like for every guy. I think cowman sounds more official. Yeah. Maybe they're not, the, they're like in charge. And <laughs> the cowboys are the ones doing the lasso. <laughs> sort of like how in the revolutionary war it's like okay you're just playing the drums and the flute yeah you're not you're not carrying a musket i'm back here doing all the hard labor right milking the cows whatever and you're just twirling a lasso being a showman By 1934, the waterhole shut down and local cowboys looking for work began gathering at the Columbia Drugstore on Sunset and Gower. The drugstore was in close proximity to the studios, and even better, it had a phone booth inside that the cowboys would use to call central casting. Is that where CVS <laughs> Rite Aid. That's oh, where it's a Rite Aid. Yes. Because so, that's Sunset and Gower. This is yeah. Gower, yeah, this yeah. is the story of Gower Gulch. But there was even a drugstore. <laughs> Just yeah. funny. Before it was a little shopping center, it was Columbia Drugstore. So, you know, yeah. these cowboys got their Zoloft at the same place <laughs> that I once wow. got my Zoloft. Hollywood history. <laughs> <laughs> so they would just hang out here all day. They'd be like just waiting around for work. It's because there was a phone. Because there was yeah, a phone Yeah, they needed there. the phone, yeah. The competition for booking jobs would lead to spats between the men and tensions sometimes arose as they hung around the drugstore all day. Right. And this is 
I mean, I'm assuming it was the case back then. It's right near Sunset Gower Studio. Like well, a, that's yeah, why. Yeah. That's why so they it's hung like out right there. there. Yeah. Yeah. And b- before it was Sunset Gower Studio, it was Century Studio. Okay. That's yeah. what it was called. And like I said earlier, all most of the studios, with exception to like MGM, which was in Culver City, they were in Hollywood. So yeah. they were all in like pretty close proximity. Among the other cowboys who hung around the Columbia drugstore was Black Jack Ward. The 49-year-old cowboy was born Jerome Bonaparte Ward in Franklin, Louisiana in 1891. Like the other Hollywood cowboys looking for work in the entertainment industry, he was once a real cowboy. He joined Pancho Villa's army in 1910 and acted as his right-hand man during the Mexican Revolution. Ward's skills as a horse rider led him to Hollywood in the 1920s, where he landed bit parts in westerns. Blackjack Ward would appear in 160 films over the next two decades. It was February 23, 1940, when Blackjack Ward went down to the Columbia drugstore on Sunset and Gower to loiter amongst the other 50 or so cowboys when he found himself face-to-face with his arch-enemy a fellow cowboy named Johnny Tyke. Why was that his arch enemy from movie career stuff or we're going to get cowboy into it. Stuff. But okay. these guys did not like each other. Nice. And they both show up in their boots and their spurs. It's hanging out by the phone, hanging out, <laughs> hanging out by that phone. That must be so awkward. Yeah. Is it for me? <laughs> Sorry. Fuck you, Johnny. Tyke was born John Tyak in Reedville, Oregon in 1894. He grew up riding horses and competed in rodeos in Oregon in his youth. He had a long history of trouble with the law. He had been arrested 13 times and done two stints in jail for drug possession. So he did not have the career exactly that Blackjack Ward did. Blackjack Ward was pretty successful. This This guy struggled throughout his life. In 1938, Tyke was arrested in a drunk driving incident when he struck another car while driving down Sunset in the wrong direction. He injured two teenage girls when he struck their car head on. Bad. It made the paper, too. Yeah. Like Blackjack Ward, Johnny Tyke also appeared in Western films, but he did not appear in nearly as many as Ward did. I went to his IMDb, and his credits were just five films spanning from oh, 1920 to 1936. And Blackjack Ward, like I said before, he did 160 films. Yeah. He was a seasoned I performer. Mean, way more. That's <laughs> the, They're a not even the same that, level. <laughs> they're not the same level. Yeah. And I'm sure that caused resentment. Absolutely. With Johnny Tyke. Why am I only in five? <laughs> And we can I have 50 of yours? <laughs> I'm a cowboy too. Yeah. According to Ward, his feud with Tyke began after Tyke was bitter that Ward only visited him in jail once following <gasps> his drunk driving arrest. That sounds pretty nice to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they weren't like very close. Yeah. But he, this guy was like, I bet he had a resentment of, from Blackjack Ward just on the fact that he was more successful. So he's looking for reasons to hate him even more. Like Yeah. yeah. So he's like, you only visited me in jail once? Yeah. It's not like he was in there for that long. He, he was in there I'm for like a, it was a, like a yeah. year. Yeah. I mean, that's a long time. But I think he was like, had nothing better to do than to like keep tally <laughs> of who he hated when he got out. 
what? Basically. <laughs> yeah. Well, that day in February of 1940, when the two cowboys spotted each other at Columbia Drugstore, they started getting into it. According to Diana's book, Blackjack Ward approached Johnny Tyke and said, You've been fooling around my girl again. Oh. Johnny Tyke responded with, What makes you so sure she's yours? Ooh. Now the other cowboys all went, Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I wish people could see your face when you did that. <laughs> I'm the Foley artist. Thank you. I need that in this episode. So everyone's like, oh, shit. The fight's yeah. going to happen. Wait, where's the girl coming in? Well, according to Blackjack Ward, Johnny Tyke was messing around with his girl. And the other cowboys circled up. They encircled the men, and they yeah. were like, oh, shit, a standoff yeah. is, is going to happen. Then Ward said to Tyke, Julie's mine, and I'm going to make sure things stay that way. Tyke said, you better go easy, Ward. You're grabbing the branding iron by the hot end. That used to be a very old saying. <laughs> that was very popular. <laughs> <laughs> no, this is, mind you, this is all according to Diana's book. Right. That's when Blackjack Ward pulled out his gun and said, there's six steps to hell, and according to what I know of your lousy record, you've taken all six of them. Tyke, apparently fearless in the face of a gun, charged towards Ward. Ward fired the gun, shooting Tyke in the shoulder. Then Ward said, that was for the first step, lion. Whoa. Tyke was then splayed out on the ground, and then Ward shot him five more times. Damn. Each time he fired a new shot, he would count and say what the bullet was for. Two for horse stealing. Three for woman stealing. Four, cowardice. Five, double crossing a friend. And six, murder. Oh. Tyke was killed as the sixth and final bullet struck him in the heart. Now, Diana's father said he witnessed the shooting. He said, Blackjack Dry Gulch Johnny Tyke. <laughs> News at seven. <laughs> <laughs> which, which is cowboy talk for he killed a man in cold blood. I like the idea that during this, the phone rang and everyone's <laughs> like, can I just get this? <laughs> <laughs> the awkward, like, can yeah. I just, I'm can expecting just, a call I'm, from my agent. <laughs> <laughs> so so blackjack's uh friends argued that johnny tyke was known to have carried a concealed weapon on him at all times so it wasn't like ward was just shooting an unarmed man now i said before this was this is diana diana sarah's account in her book but after the break we're gonna get into what really happened oh and we're, I did some deep diving okay. in the papers. Nice. We'll be right back. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. 
So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm the queen of starting a free trial offer and forgetting to cancel it, oftentimes being charged for months for something I'm not even using. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. With Rocket Money, I can see all of my subscriptions in one place, and if I see something I don't want, I can cancel it with a tap. I never have to get on the phone with customer service. They'll even try to get you a refund for the last couple of months of wasted money and negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. All you have to do is take a picture of your bill, and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. It's definitely saved me money and now I can use that money to waste on things I do want. So stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. That's rocketmoney.com slash Hollywood Crime Scene. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. I've had a really stressful year with work and family stuff, and I know I'm not alone when I say I tend to push that stress down in order to get what I need done, done, and that only makes things worse. We all carry around different stressors, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. In the past, therapy has helped me navigate many situations from helping me to set boundaries to just becoming the best version of myself. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. I love that it's entirely online, so it's convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. You just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapist anytime for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash HCS today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash HCS. Now, there was a shooting at what would become known as Gower Gulch at the Columbia Drugstore, but it went down a little differently, IRL. The Los Angeles Times reported on February 24th, 1940, that after Johnny Tyke was shot at the Columbia drugstore, Blackjack Ward was booked into jail. He told police of his friendship with Johnny Tyke that had turned sour. He said, I fed and helped that varmint for years. Since he got out of jail the last time, he was pestering me and wanted to fight. One day he said he was going to beat me to death or use a long bowie knife on me. Yep, he was a varmint, all right. Ward said, quote, Today he started on me again, just like he had before. He said he was going to cut my throat with a knife and called me a yellow blank, blank, blank. It was redacted in the paper. (laughs) I kept trying to come up with three. Yellow-bellied motherfucker. (laughs) I think he called him a yellow-bellied motherfucker. Yeah, that's weird. 
Well, it was 1940. They weren't going to print fuck then. No, but bellied? Oh, belly. Yeah, maybe they wouldn't. Maybe a yellow motherfucking fucker. Yeah, I don't know. According to Ward, Johnny Tyke approached him in the parking lot of the drugstore and started talking shit. Ward said he walked away, but Tyke followed him and continued talking shit. Ward said he got in his car and started pulling out. He was going to drive over to Paramount. Tyke stepped in front of the car, and that's when Ward said he pulled out his gun and shot twice through the windshield. Oh. Tyke took off running through the parking lot, and Ward got out of his car and started chasing after him on foot, continuing to shoot at him. So Blackjack is chasing Johnny Tyke through the parking lot, and that's when another cowboy named Yukon Jake got involved. He heard the gunshots from a camera store next door and stepped out onto Sunset, where he was hit in the face... <gasps> With shards of marble that had been blown off the side of a building after being struck by a bullet. Whoa. So he hollered, them's not blanks, them's bullets. <laughs> Sorry. Prior to this, people thought they were like reenacting a scene from a movie. <laughs> like that his name is you. You just picture him like kind of toothless. With, like, <laughs> with that hat. <laughs> with the hat. The hat that like he just up. was doing gold digging yeah. or something. <laughs> them's not blanks. Sends real bullets. <laughs> That's exactly how I pictured it with that hat. Yeah, the hat. The, the floppy yeah. hat. It's not exactly a cowboy I don't know hat. what it is exactly, but I know what I'm talking it's, about. It's a prospector's hat. It's a prospector. He is an old prospector. He pans for gold. He came to California to pan for gold. That's what he's doing there. And he is the voice of reason in the situation. <laughs> By the way, when you're telling me this, I'm just like, and then they're, okay, so they're in front of Rite Aid. <laughs> like, I can't help but think of like, it's actually the same as it is now. The whole time I've been doing this story, I just keep, because I've been to this shopping center a million times. So have I, yeah. And I just picture Rite Aid. Yeah, I can't. So, yeah, them them's not blanks, them's bullets. So then Jake ran to the Columbia drugstore parking lot where he found Blackjack Ward standing over Johnny Tyke. Yukon Jake thought that because he was a wrestler, he could intervene and break the fight up. Oh. But Blackjack Ward absconded in his car and drove away. Police caught up with him a few blocks away. Two policemen drew their guns at Ward, and he was apprehended and taken into custody. It just so happened that while the shooting at the drugstore was taking place, police had been trailing Johnny Tyke for his involvement in a gas station robbery. They didn't expect that their suspect would wind up dead in a drugstore parking lot shootout. The papers said the incident was straight out of a Wild West movie. Blackjack Ward's friends gathered at the coroner's inquest in support of their friend. All of them were dressed up in their boots and spurs and cowboy hats. Also at the inquest was Blackjack's, Blackjack Ward's wife, Mickey, who sat by and comforted her husband. Yukon Jake was questioned by coroner Frank Montfort. He asked him, did you know the deceased? Jake responded, the what? The coroner <laughs> said, the dead man. Jake replied, oh, him. Nope, <laughs> I can't say that I did. I guess I seen him around. Jake described the scene that he saw unfold at Sunset and Gower, culminating with Blackjack Ward standing over Johnny Tyke and saying, I guess you ain't going to bother me no more before shooting him a final time. Another witness, Jack King, testified. Jack King was a fellow movie cowboy. He said that Johnny Tyke was high on dope during the shooting. 
He said that he thought at first Blackjack was just trying to scare him with blanks until he saw Johnny Tight collapse in the parking lot. King said of his friend, Blackjack was always a peaceable man. Tyke wanted you to know how he'd been in the big house. He was always talking about sticking his shiv into somebody. He was all doped up that day. Whoa. So all these people are testifying. They're like, yeah, Johnny Tyke was a real piece of shit. Yeah. We all like Blackjack Ward. Actor Phil Brady, who was there that day, also claimed that Johnny Tyke was intoxicated, either on liquor or junk. That's what he said. He also said that he saw Johnny Tyke approach Ward at his car and say, we're going to settle things now. Hmm. Ward had earlier told police that Tyke had harassed him for years. Blackjack Ward was charged with murder. Following this, supporters of Ward cried out, it's okay, Podner. We're, we're all going to back you up. <laughs> <laughs> Film producer Harry Sherman ponied up a large sum of money for Ward's defense and urged others in the film industry to do so as well. Ward was remanded to jail pending his trial. Though the cowboys at Sunset and Gower largely agreed that Johnny Tyke was an asshole, many of them chipped in to pay for flowers for Johnny Tyke's funeral. They're like, it's the right thing to do. Yeah. We, we I don't like, like him. I like these pictures of all these guys trying to get on the jury. No, sir, I'm not a cowboy. <laughs> <laughs> the trial began in July of 1940. Once again, a large crowd of fellow cowboys flocked to the courthouse to support Blackjack Ward. Blackjack Ward entered two pleas, not guilty by reason of insanity and not guilty by self-defense. Dr. Arthur Tim, who had examined Ward while he was awaiting trial, concluded that he was, quote, insane at the time of the crime due to intense emotional upset of fear plus rage. He stated that Johnny Tyke had robbed Blackjack Ward and threatened him with knives a number of times in the past. He said that Ward told him on the day of the shooting that Tyke came up to his car and brandished a knife. This is what set <laughs> Ward off. And this is where the phrase, don't bring a knife to a gunfight comes from. <laughs> <laughs> this, is, this episode is very historical. It this is, is a history-making events. Wait, so, but in the real story, there was no, the girl, it's like no. a wife now. And there was no accusation. This is the real story. There's no accusation of uh, the wife tampering no. or whatever. No. Okay. No, that was... That, That's just the fake story. The The story in Diana's book, it's it's, it's very brief. The, yeah. Her book is largely about about other cowboys, but she does mention briefly this incident in, in her book, but it's this... Everything I'm telling you now uh -huh. since the break is all actual accounts and from newspapers. Right. So, so anyway, so he, yeah, he, he brought a knife to a gunfight. That's where we were, right? Yeah. Okay. He, so that's what set Ward off when, when Tyke brandishes this knife. Then Ward was said to have gone into a blackout and he told the doctor the next thing he knew he was being arrested. Hmm. However, doctors who testified for the state asserted that Ward was sane during the shooting. Yukon Jake was the prosecution's star witness. He told his story to the court about the events that day. He testified that Blackjack Ward stood over Johnny Tyke in the parking lot, waved his gun at him, and shouted, You brought this on yourself. I had to do it. You made me do it. Jake said he pleaded with Ward not to shoot. 
He said Ward pistol-whipped Tyke with his gun before firing a bullet into his heart and killing him. Friends and colleagues of Blackjack Ward testified in defense of his character. Among them was actor Randolph Scott, who had appeared in over 20 films with Blackjack Ward. Others testified to Johnny Tyke's bad character and described the feud that had unfolded between them. Blackjack Ward testified in his own defense, describing the continued harassment he endured at the hands of Johnny Tyke. Ward testified to how the threats from Tyke began shortly after he was released from jail after serving a sentence for narcotics. Tyke was furious with Ward for only visiting him once and for not giving him money. He said Ward confronted him and demanded they fight. Ward then described the weeks leading up to the shooting. He said, Three weeks before the shooting, Tyke met me on the street and said, I've got to have some money for morphine and you're going to give it to me. According to Ward, when he told him he didn't have any money, Tyke knocked him over and pressed his knee into his chest. He then stole $12 from his pocket. Ward said that that wasn't the last time that Tyke threatened him before the shooting took place. He claimed that after Tyke hit him up for money again, he pointed a knife at Ward and said, I'm going to cut your heart out. I'm going to kill you. Whoa. So this guy was a real bully. Yeah. According to Ward... On the day of the shooting, when Tyke followed him to his car, he shouted, I'm going to kill you, you blank blank, and then I'm going to kill your blank blank wife, too. Damn. Tyke brandished his knife, and that's when Ward pulled out his gun. He's like, you know what? Yeah. I've had enough. In a shocking turn of events, the following morning, Yukon Jake produced a piece of crucial evidence. This is like five days into the trial. Oh my God. And Yukon Jake's like, wait a minute. <laughs> Look what I found in one of my pockets. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what happened. <laughs> he produced the knife that Johnny Tyke had used to threaten Black oh. Jack Ward with. He He's won't be needing this no more. <laughs> <laughs> Yukon Jake said that a few days after the shooting, he was walking his dog near the drugstore parking lot when he discovered the knife. He said... I was kind of in the bushes near Sunset Boulevard when the hound starts sniffing. Oh, my God. I looks down and I see a knife. <laughs> he then said that he took it home with him and put it in his tackle box because it looked like it would be a good knife for skinning trout. <laughs> <laughs> and the deputy district attorney was like, why are you just turning over this? It's been months. It's been like six months. Since the shooting, why are you just turning over this evidence to us now? And now it's covered in trout guts. (laughs) Right, and and dog hair. He's like, I just plum forgot. Yeah. I even had the darn thing. (laughs) So they're like, all right, give me the knife. Yeah, he said he literally didn't remember until the trial was going on that he had this thing. So, I mean, he did get hit in the head with marble. (laughs) Oh, right, he did at the shooting. So... Confirming that the knife belonged to Johnny Tyke was a bootmaker named Joseph Hebeck, who said that he had sharpened the knife for Tyke before. So he's like, yeah, that's yeah. Johnny Tyke's knife. Another last minute testimony came that day after a reporter tracked down a woman who had witnessed the shooting. She testified that she was in the car on Sunset and Gower and she saw a drunken Johnny Tyke shouting, I'll kill you. Oh, God. It was less than a week into the trial when the deputy district attorney approached the judge and moved for a dismissal. 
The case was dismissed and Blackjack Ward was set free and all the charges were dropped. They're like, it was self-defense. Hmm. The cowboys in the courtroom cheered and Yukon Jake lit a cigar. He actually, when Yukon Jake was testifying, he had, I think it was an unlit cigar, but he was sort of waving, like he had it in his mouth while he was testifying. Like a prop, yeah. Like, <laughs> and he, he accidentally left the cigar on the seat and, and the judge is like, you will take your cigar when you yeah. take your cigar with you, Yukon yeah. Jake. But he lit the cigar as soon as... He was waiting for this moment. He was waiting for this moment. I mean, it was like a kind of pandemonium in the courtroom. These cowboys, they probably threw their hats in the air. They're like, back to the phone. (laughs) (laughs) It was a rootin' tootin' good time. Blackjack Ward turned to his wife, who was crying tears of joys, and, and said, let's go, honey. The show's all over now. But the show wasn't entirely over for Ward. He made headlines a few more times for other arrests. Uh Uh-oh. One headline in a 1942 edition of the Los Angeles Daily News read, Rootin' Tootin' Film Cowhand Gets 90 Days for Assault. (gasps) In December of 1941, Ward entered a local bar called the Roundup Cafe. According to bar patrons, Henry Isabel... Oh... Wait, according to bar patron Henry Isabel, Ward walked over to him. He testified during the trial. He called me up. Well, I better not say it here in court. He said that Ward then accused him of being a stool pigeon. So he got off his chair and hit Ward, who then fell to the ground. Ward got up again and Henry smacked him down again. Henry Isabel continued testifying. I didn't see him draw a gun, but a couple fellows watching the fight did, and they grabbed him. The manager of the bar and another patron of the bar were the two men that dragged Ward away from Isabel. They told police that they had seen Ward take his gun out and put his finger on the trigger. The gun in question was the same gun that had been used in the shooting of Johnny Tyke. It had been turned back over to him following his exoneration. So essentially what happened in this bar is Ward got his ass kicked. Yeah. And may or may not have put his hand on his gun, but Ward was the one that was arrested. Yeah. Um, Like he didn't even hit this Henry Isabel guy, but he was arrested. They're like, this guy's a mess. Trigger happy. Yeah. They were, they think they were just afraid that he was going to shoot his gun again. So he was, um, he spent 90 days in jail for that. Then he was arrested again on New Year's Eve, 1942, for being drunk and disorderly. Hmm. He was released. It's <laughs> not that bad. <laughs> His crimes are getting lessened. <laughs> yeah, he, he was released after just one night. They're like, uh, sleep it off. But he got in trouble again on Christmas Day, 1947, when he attempted to sick his cocker spaniel on a police dog. <gasps> sorry and the crime is (laughs) they're like he's i think at this point they were just more irritated by him they're like this is a hilarious uh choice like the cocker spaniel and it's probably like what a german shepherd type dog or something like this little cute golden they always have like very wavy ears yeah he's like melinda get him (laughs) he was fined 20 dollars for that but the last time he made headlines was in 1951 when a now 61 year old blackjack ward was fined 50 dollars for chasing his friend down a street in hollywood with a meat cleaver 
Wow. That's pretty extreme. <laughs> That's very unusual. <laughs> Most of us never experience that. No, but I guess it's not that weird for Hollywood Boulevard. You might see that. <laughs> That's true. You- <laughs> that is true. He went to his friend's Leo's. His, he had a friend named Leo and he had a butcher shop. And he went in there trying to hit. Now it's making sense. (laughs) He went in there to ask Leo for money. And Leo was like, no, get out of here. Come on, dude. Don't piss someone off while the cleaver is sitting on the counter. But Blackjack Ward must have made his way behind the counter and grabbed a cleaver. Because the next thing he knew, Leo was being chased down Hollywood Boulevard with a cleaver. Yeah. It ended up like, I don't know, he didn't spend that much time in jail. They're just like, oh, Blackjack Ward. I love cleavers. It's my favorite uh, knife. <laughs> like when I see it, I just like the design of it. Yeah, ever since I was a kid, I was like, what's that for? It's just like an interesting looking tool. I've never owned one, but I'm also like, what's that little hole for? What you know? is the hole for? Is it to hang it up? <laughs> it could be to hang it up, but I think you also no, but hit. but it's also on the hit, blade. You hit the meat with it too. Right. Like with that cleaver, you hit the meat with it. So, so maybe it has some kind of suction or something. I have no idea. There's something scientific about that hole. And I'm sure we'll get an email. <laughs> I love scientific hole. <laughs> There's something scientific about your hole. Wow. <laughs> I don't know what it is yet, but I'm going to okay. find out. Well, some, the world wants to know. Some, someone's, someone's doing research on that hole. <laughs> Lots of tests have been done. <laughs> it's been peer-reviewed bunsen burners (laughs) testing that hole uh that's the story of gower gulch uh as as i did some research into gower gulch like okay i i i didn't do that much research into gower gulch afterwards but i really wanted to know like i would love like a chart of like the progression of stores that have been there what and it why was it called that just because of the cowboys so the name gower gulch the shopping center, it was invented. It, that came to be after this shootout. So the, it, the, had, it took a Western vibe. It took a, it took a, okay. So if you've been to Gower Gulch, we forgot to mention up top, it has a Western theme. Yeah. It is, first of all, it's decked out in like all these paintings, these portraits of old Western stars from a long time ago. There's like a wagon. There's wagon wheels. There's wagon wheels everywhere. <laughs> There's like a saloon, like above the Baskin Robbins and the Rite Aid and all the stores. It's like a saloon front. Isn't there like a water tower? It's or like th- a wagon. And then right? there's also like the font is very Western. It's a, it's we- it's a Western themed shopping center. It looks like you're like, are we in Disneyland? And there's an Arby's a few blocks away. I've been to that Arby's Me before. Me too. <laughs> I love Arby's logo. Me I think too. it's one of the best logos of any fast food place. I just appreciate that they haven't like hyper modernized it. Oh man, that would be sad because like, it looks perfect. Yeah. I, I just agree. love seeing that. So yeah, it's, it's Western currently at the Gower Gulch, Baskin Robbins, Rite Aid, Starbucks. There's a kebab daddy and there's Lucifer's pizzas there too. Yeah. But in the past, I was looking at like, I wanted to know what else was there. There was a sushi restaurant there at one point mm-hmm. in the early 80s. I'm sure it was incredible. <laughs> there was a really hot, there was a hot spot like adjacent to the Gower Gulch, like on the other side of the street called Columbia Bar and Grill. That was like a power lunch destination in the okay. 80s and 90s. 
Isn't is Sugarfish near there? It's close, Kinda, yeah. but it's not in the center. Yeah, I mean, that's a t- part of town I very rarely go to. But when I've gone there, it's to go to Gower Gulch <laughs> for some reason. Not just you, though. Yeah. I don't know. It's also near Roscoe's. It's very close yeah, to Roscoe's. Yeah, that's kind of right across the street yeah. and down a bit. Um, yeah. But when I lived over there, that was my Rite Aid. Yes. I mean, you've definitely been more than I have. I never lived in Hollywood. Yeah. But yeah, interesting. There's the dead. I had no idea that something actually Western happened. There. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, that was a West. It was like first it was just, you know, known as a cowboy hangout. And then it was like, wow, after this murder, let's let's do a whole thing. Where theme. was the watering hole? The watering hole was Coenga in Hollywood. Okay. Okay. And it was like a saloon. I like I would lo- I like looking at old maps of Hollywood because it was, was there. Well, because it's very desolate back in this 10, like the tens, twenties, thirty. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's very, you, when you see pictures, it's like almost rural still in some areas. And it's just shocking to see my grandma. When she was a kid, they had chicken coops at her house. Yeah. And like, when you're talking, I was thinking like, uh, there's also all these ranches on the outskirts, like yes. spawn ranch and like, Oh, so yeah. it used to be very rural in LA and it's just funny to see, uh, like when you see pictures of the Hollywood sign when it was first built and it's just literally nothing uh, surrounding it. Like now there's all these homes up there and it was just like nothing. Well, like, we were talking about Hancock park, how like those streets are so busy now, but they were probably not as busy when they were building all, oh, those, totally. all those big mansions. Cause there. That, that's definitely on the outskirts of Hollywood. Yeah. So it probably seemed more remote. Uh, and now it's just completely central. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But yeah, so it's, it's interesting. I also love the stories set in Hollywood cause I like know all the streets. Yeah. So it's always like, I know where that is. <laughs> Western. <laughs> like, it's just funny to kind of know you can kind of pinpoint. Oh, that McDonald's on Western on Western and Santa Monica, no sunset Western and sunset that when I lived in sober living in East Hollywood, that was my McDonald's. Is that where we went to get the second prize? That yes. Night? That's yeah. where we, Oh, that was a historical second fries is a, that's the term. Desi, Desi and I, we first one night really late at night, we went to the McDonald's on vine. I hate that McDonald's. We now. went to the vine. It's sunset. under a parking lot. Basically. It's a very stressful McDonald's. Yeah. And then we ordered fries and we got the fries and they were cold, like not warm. They were cold. And I have never seen you. In such duress in my life. Well, if I'm getting fries, I'm already in a desperate state. <laughs> the last thing I need is for them to be, these were like cold, like frozen almost. Like I can't explain it. It was like frozen potato. You went into like a blackout. You were, I mean, I was scared. You were driving the car. You were in like, I, there was, almost, I was like blackjack. You were like, black, snapped. you totally snapped. You then proceeded to throw the fries out the window. <laughs> And I just for the record, Desi is not a litter bug. She does not no. believe in littering. But this, I'm telling, that's the state. I just need you to know the state that she was in. She was. What was I going to do with them in the car? <laughs> and and you and then she goes, "Where's the closest McDonald's? Where's the next?" We were excited for those fries. So it was very upsetting. Yeah, we did go there again. We did. 
<laughs> that got, was a better experience. That was. That was good. But we were scared because we're like, oh, no, not again. Please don't fail us now. But yeah. So we went to the other McDonald's. Uh, once you have, you know how you have something in your mind, you're having fries. You got to see it through. Them. And it was scary because it was late. <laughs> you don't know what things close. Not everything's 24 hours. <laughs> it's also it's also close to the to the uh, Taco Bell I walked through, the drive-thru. Oh, right. There's a lot of history in that part of town for me. Definitely. Very historical. Yeah. So, cool. Yeah. Are there good picks? There are good, good picks. picks. Okay, good. Yeah, I got some pictures. I'll post them on our Instagram page. Anyway, we're going to record our after show, which will be available on our Patreon. We'll see you guys for the mini episode. Bye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.